1: I'm very excited today for my guest, base jumper Daniel Ristow. He's pioneering new legal base jumping spots around Northern California in the Sierra Nevada mountains. Real quick, just so we're all on the same page, base jumpers are people who jump off of buildings, bridges, electrical antennas, cliffs, and other man-made and natural objects, and then they parachute to the ground. That's basic base. But then within that, there is a class of jumper who puts on a wingsuit and actually flies around before landing. So those are the people you've probably seen in YouTube clips looking like flying squirrels soaring over mountain terrain with GoPros on their heads, right? That's the kind of stuff that Daniel does. Earlier this fall, Daniel invited me to actually witness a wingsuit base jump up close. So I accompanied him and one of his friends on a jump on a remote mountain in the eastern Sierra, kind of near Mammoth Lakes. And before we go any further, I just have to say, it's pretty unbelievable to watch a person dive off of a cliff and then fly over mountain terrain at 150 miles per hour. It's just crazy. Both Daniel and his friend jumped from a ledge that was about 500 to 600 feet above a gully, and then they flew down... 4,300 feet of altitude to a landing spot about a mile and a half away. So watching it was awesome and it was totally terrifying. I mean, even though they weren't nervous, I was afraid for them. I wanted to talk to Daniel because Northern California is arguably the best place in the world to base jump. Yosemite Valley is widely considered the mecca among base jumpers. It's got those tall sheer cliffs and it just draws jumpers from all over the place. But the sport, as you probably know, is essentially outlawed everywhere. So what I wanted to know was what this secret community looks like. Who are these people? What exactly are they jumping? And then, of course, why do they do it? Daniel is particularly interesting, I think, because he's jumping spots in the Sierra that are super remote, places that maybe only one person has jumped before. And he says they're technically legal. So he's working on a documentary film about his exploits, because he wants people to see what actually goes into pulling off a base jump from scouting and evaluating locations to how to, how the gear and the equipment works to the actual flights themselves. So Daniel's mission ties into this key struggle of the base community in California and across the U S and that's for legitimacy. It's about the difficulty of gaining mainstream understanding of the sport. So I wrote a big story about the California base scene and what Daniel is working on, you can check it out at sfchronicle.com. For this podcast, we got together and we talked about what the culture in California is like, how Daniel deals with deaths in the community, which is a big part of being a base jumper, why he does this, and then of course, what his first base experience felt like.
0: It just felt amazing. I landed right next to our car parked at the bottom, right next to like our ground crew down there, like perfect accuracy and everything and I immediately knew I was hooked like it was, it was the best feeling in the world it was the feeling I thought I would get from skydiving most people think you're going to get that freefall feeling and like a handful of people I know are kind of let down cuz you don't really get that you just kind of feel like you're floating base jumping's the
1: feeling you you think skydiving will give you we recorded this podcast in the living room of Daniel's parents house he's 22 years old and he lives with his folks and yes I asked them about his base jumping they're very understanding and supportive of him Daniel, when we talked, was a little under the weather, but his passion for the sport and his ideas come through clearly. It was a great conversation, and I hope you guys enjoy it. All right, here's base jumper Daniel Ristow. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Daniel. It's good to have you. Yeah, Yeah, it's good to be here. So before we get into this, I just want to say a disclaimer to anybody listening that there are going to be things that... I ask that you can't exactly answer because we're not trying to incriminate anybody on the podcast. But that being said, I'm hoping you can kind of take it from the top and tell us like how you got into base jumping in the first place. How do you actually get into a sport like this?
0: Sure, so yeah, I mean, base jumping was something I always saw and like it looked cool and something like I really wanted to do. So I mean, the first step is skydiving. Um, So as soon as I was legally old enough to skydive, I started skydiving and just did as many jumps as I could. I I started out by reading all the information I could find about base jumping, like the great book of base, um, all the base forums, talking with base jumpers. Uh, Once I started skydiving and seeing them at the drop zone, pretty much just did anything I could at that point to get as close to the sport as I could and start learning what I needed to do and then find something to teach me from there.
1: Yeah. And so uh, what age were you when you first started skydiving? Um, Well, I did a tandem skydive when I was 16.
0: And then uh, there's a place where you could learn um, with parents' consent from there. Uh, I didn't have the money at that point, so I started saving up. And then right after I turned 17, I think it was in uh, February of 2014, um, that then I did my
1: first solo skydive and got certified with AFF and started working toward my licenses. And so, people recommend, at least from what I've heard, that you should have like two to like, or 150, I think, to 300 skydives under your belt before you even attempt base jumping and something like that, right? Yeah. And yeah. So, that's the
0: recommended numbers.
1: What's the idea there? Like, what are you supposed to learn skydiving that you then kind of carry over into base jumping?
0: Um, so, the biggest thing is canopy skills. Like, it's not so much about the free fall until you get into tracking and wing seating. Um, so, yeah, most of people's first jumps, unless they start somewhere in Europe, Um, where there's just big cliffs so they can go right into that is usually off lower stuff. So here, uh, most courses are taught at the Perrine Bridge in Idaho, um, where it's legal to base jump year round. Um, So for there, like your free fall skills don't matter at all. All it is is canopy skills um, because when you're jumping off, there's no wind to
1: be able to fly your body with like you do with skydiving. And so I guess I wanted to back up for a minute. Like, how did you first hear uh, that base jumping was a thing, that wingsuiting was a thing? Like, where did you learn about this to sort of... Develop that dream to one day want to do it.
0: Um, I think probably on YouTube I saw like a video of it. Um, I think I'm trying to remember if there was a specific video.
1: Yeah, was it was it base jumping or was it wingsuiting that made you want to get into it?
0: Now I'm both kind of. Well, it started with base jumping. Yeah, I, th- I think it was this video. Of this guy Dukes. Um, he was doing like this jump somewhere, uh, somewhere in Spain or something like that, where there's a, a building with an elevator on the outside and him and his friends climbed up onto the outside of the elevator got on the roof of it and their friend took it to the top floor and they just jumped off and i remember watching it like that's sick like i want to do that like they just hopped on the side of the building rode it to the top and then did like flips off it and landed back in the street so then i started watching more videos and i saw winky suiting and it was always something like that looks really cool like i never really thought i could do it at that point because i was probably 12 or 13 it's like oh that's something like extreme athletes do like i'm just a normal person so that's not going to be something I could ever do but I want to do it so I just started watching videos and kind of assessing over it a little bit thinking it'd be cool to do but I have no idea how to do that um, yeah and then I kind of saw skydiving and I was like oh that's something like people can learn like I could at least do a tandem so I like set that as a goal of something I wanted to do um, but I was still like 13 years old at that point so I didn't have any way to do it soon so it just kind of something in the back of my head constantly for the next few years until I was able to do it
1: yeah and so you are skydiving all the time at this jump center yeah. and in the drop zone area there's all kinds of skydivers and some of them base jump that's how it goes yeah
0: pretty much um so like after jumping would end sometimes in like one of the um, hangars or like out in the landing area you'd see someone packing a base rig so when i saw that i just started hanging out with them like watching them pack um if i saw people coming back from a jump i would ask them if i could practice packing their rig but yeah it was uh pretty much just like any, any chance I could be around base jumpers, I would try to do that.
1: Yeah, and from what I, the people that I have talked to, base jumpers can be kind of a, you know, like a guarded sort of maybe reclusive type, right? Like they're not trying to broadcast what they're doing and it can be difficult, I think, to kind of earn their trust. So how did you- 100%, yeah. Yeah, so how did you go about that? Like how did you earn their trust and get them to allow you to, to kind of shadow them and come on their trips and pack their shoots and things like that?
0: <laughs> well I probably annoyed a, a bunch of them at the start because I was just like the 17 year old kid with like 30 40 skydives who just was saying how much they wanted to base jump and following them around and like asking them a million questions but I think eventually some of them realized like I wasn't just somebody who was just like trying to annoy them or bugging them but I was actually someone serious about it um so eventually like a couple of them were like okay like here like let me give you some tips like you can practice packing my rig like you can <laughs> come um, watch us jump, like uh, pick us up at the bottom of the stuff, drive us around. Um, and then I was able to kind of get in with that and then start building connections with them from there. Um, where they, once they learned I was actually serious about it, not someone just talking. Right. So I mean, like you meet people or like someone, you meet someone like, Oh, you base jump. Like I totally want to do that. Like, okay. Yeah. Like if you do do these steps and they're like, Oh no, like I'm not actually going to do it. They just want to ask questions or like they think they do, but they don't want to put in the effort. Uh, but once I started showing that I was putting in the effort, then, um, people definitely opened up a lot more to me.
1: Yeah. And so describe, if if you will, like your first base jump.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Let's see, let me see what details I can share <laughs> on that. I mean, basically we were hanging out at the drop zone and it was like an object that they had jumped that night. And I, um, so I ground crewed for them. I drove them out there, waited at the bottom, picked them up, drove them back, and then practiced packing one of their parachutes. Um, and they had known I'd been doing all my canopy drills Like my accuracy was really good. My canopy skills were good. And I like read everything there was on it. Um, And this one guy, uh, Mark, he said, hey, like, do you want to jump tomorrow morning? Like if you pack my rig tonight, we can go to your first jump in the morning. So of course I was super stoked. And I was like, yeah, like, this is what I've been waiting for. Yeah. So packed up all the gear, um, got everything perfect. And then went over um, to a gas station where they had like a railing outside and practiced like how to climb over the railing, like while managing the bridle because he was going to PCA me which is him pulling my parachute out as I jump so I don't have to do anything besides jump off. And then it's like, it's the way most people do their first jump. Um, So we kind of rehearsed all that. I tried to sleep, but didn't get much sleep that night. And then drove out there in the morning and did it.
1: How roughly, or if you know exactly, how high was this first jump that you did?
0: Uh, It was from about 400 feet. Okay. Uh,
1: Yeah. And so you're standing on this object and you have to actually will yourself to jump off of it. Yeah. How's that go? (laughs) Oh, it's so
0: terrifying. It was, I mean, it's just standing on the edge, like looking down and was looking like 400 feet straight down to the ground where everything's calm. There's no wind blowing on you. Like in the airplane, it's not all loud with like all the excitement just, you're just alone in your thoughts and just like hearing your heartbeat. And I think I I remember telling him like I was ready to go. And he said, okay, just go when you're ready. And then I just stood there for probably another like 30 seconds. And apparently I didn't even count down like I thought I did, but apparently I just finally jumped. but as soon as it opened, which it felt like it took forever, even though it's just a second, it just felt amazing. I landed right next to our car parked at the bottom, right next to like our ground crew down there, like perfect accuracy and everything. And I immediately knew I was hooked. Like it, was, it was the best feeling in the world. It was the feeling I thought I would get from skydiving. Most people think you're going to get that freefall feeling. And like a handful of people I know are kind of let down because you don't really get that. You just kind of feel like you're floating. Like base jumping's the feeling you you think skydiving will give you like base jumping, you actually get that.
1: Why is it, is it because, you know, you're kind of in the terrestrial environment still, or what is it about base jumping that gives you that feeling?
0: So you're going from zero miles an hour, just jumping and like getting the full free fall, like accelerating into it. Um, There's no wind resistance or anything. And you're close to the ground. So you see things coming at you really fast and like stuff rushing past you, like the antenna or the bridge or building or cliff behind you, you just see everything. So you have like a sense for speed. skydiving the plane's already going like 80 miles an hour when you jump off so as soon as you jump you're hit by wind and you're just kind of arcing from like 80 miles an hour forward to 120 downward over about 10 seconds to fully finish that acceleration so it's like 40 miles an hour of acceleration over 10 seconds with no visual references of how fast you're going yeah so you don't get that it's kind of like if you're on the freeway you're driving 100 miles an hour it doesn't feel super fast but if you're going like 45 on a really windy road, it feels way faster. Yeah. I'm um, just like moving relative to stuff.
1: More with Daniel in just a moment, but first this brief message. One of the things that uh, became really interesting to me as I got into reporting this story was just learning about the community of base jumpers in Northern California. Yeah. And and about Northern California itself. So, like for instance, I knew that people jumped Yosemite even though it's not legal there because Yosemite is the Mecca for this, and that makes a lot of sense. But what I didn't understand is how people are kind of going out all the time, jumping all kinds of stuff. And I wonder if, you know, you can be careful with the language, if you can kind of just draw some basic parameters around what the scene in Northern California looks like. Like, you know, what types of people are going out? What types of things are they jumping? Like, how often is this happening?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's happening pretty often. There's like. There's like a handful of like legal things that you can jump off, uh, but most of like the good or like safe ones are not legal. I mean, like for wing seating and stuff, like it'd be amazing to be able to jump in Yosemite, but it's illegal. So instead of that, you you have to fly to Europe to train or jump like the high Sierra stuff, um, which is much like it's not sheer cliffs. They're underhungs. You have to have a strong push. they are much higher altitudes. So the air is thinner, but it exists. There's like small like bridges that there's just no laws about base jumping on that you can jump they're they're nothing huge. It's not like like really big bridges or stuff like the prime in Idaho. Um, So like a lot of it is illegal. Um, I think like jumpers mainly try to fly under the radar for that um, and just kind of keep it to themselves to be able to preserve the objects. So I don't really want to go too much into detail on what they are specifically. I mean, there's bridges, antennas, buildings, cliffs all around. Um, They get jumped fairly often.
1: Yeah. The legality, as I understand it, is like the law that you are breaking when you jump or land somewhere is trespassing typically, right? Yeah. It's not like like an apartment building or a national park has a bylaw written into it that says no base jumping.
0: So national parks do. They have the aerial delivery law, okay. which was originally set to um, for people who were trying to settle there. Um, they weren't allowed to get like restocked by planes dropping supplies down. Um, so that's when they originally made the law. Then I think eventually some base jumpers tried to fight it by saying, that like they weren't delivering themselves into the park because they started in the park and ended up in there so now they changed it to specifically mention base jumping and wingsuiting um is illegal so national parks there's a specific law against that but yeah like in the city or other things like an antenna it would just be trespassing for climbing on it um in the city um if you like you jumped off your friend's apartment building it could be a reckless endangerment or disrupting mm-hmm. traffic for landing in the street uh, so there's or like if it's a different building that you somehow got into it's like breaking and entering um so they they get you for whatever laws they can on there um, but yeah they, usually there's nothing specific about base jumping
1: yeah uh have you ever been caught or no. okay yeah <laughs> <laughs> and how many jumps do you have um
0: i have 597 base jumps as of
1: today when you are scouting a place how yeah. do you what goes into what? What goes into that effort? How do you find a place that you think will be a just doable logistically, b safe, and then three legal?
0: Yeah, so I guess there's two sides of that. There's like the wing seating side, and then just the normal slider down base jumping side. Um, the slider down side's a lot easier because you just look for something tall, and you're like, yeah, I could jump off that. Like if there's, if you're just driving and you see an antenna and it's tall enough, like you can just go climb it and jump off it. Uh, we use laser range finders. So you can just um, know the exact height of something. so you just measure it, see if it's tall enough to go. and then like I don't know for me if it's below like 200 feet, I usually static line it or PCA it, like have my stuff get pulled out immediately. Um, if it's higher than that, you can go handheld um, where you're holding your pilot chute. so it'll um, that inflates pretty quickly. Then if it's much higher, you can go stowed. Um, I usually don't go stowed much below 300 feet um and then it obviously depends like if you have to climb around on something where you need both hands then you might go stowed a little bit lower um so there's like exceptions to the rules there but slider down is pretty easy to scout you just need something tall enough to jump from and then a safe place to land um, which you can do pretty visually without even using any tools Uh, wing seating is a lot harder because you need to map out everything from the start to how far you need to glide to make a landing area um like depends how high an altitude like if you're at Twelve or thirteen thousand feet, the air is going to be a lot thinner compared to something uh, more like the four thousand, five thousand foot range. Um, so there's a lot of factors that go into wingsuiting.
1: And so you have been exploring the Eastern Sierra. Yeah. Talk about the Eastern Sierra. Like, what makes it uh, a you know a good or even an ideal place for some of these base uh, base jumps and wingsuit flights?
0: Well, realistically, it's it's not a very good or ideal place for it. Um, there's the way the granite is out there. There's not a lot of sheer cliffs. Um, yeah. and like are not very much prominence um, they more slope out at the top so there's not a lot of spots that are even possible to jump from and then a lot of the the mountains not too steep over there either so a lot of the spots that are sheer enough to jump then it's too flat under it to be able to glide like that plateau to fly the rest of the mountain so it ends up being a really short jump so it's not even worth doing in a lot of those places so I mean so far I think outside of Yosemite there are seven exit points in California that have been wingsuited um, I've repeated a couple of those. Um, and then I'm, I've got a few more that I've mapped out that I'm just waiting to go to, um uh, once the weather lines up or we have like the right conditions, um, which it's the weather out there is pretty wild and lining up winds is pretty hard. There's not too many calm days. There's usually a lot of air moving
1: around yeah. um, to make it not ideal to jump. So if it's not ideal, if it's not a great place, why do you go there and jump in the first place? I mean, I live around here. It's the closest
0: place I can go to jump. Um, it's kind of intrigued me like I really like climbing out there it's a really beautiful area um and just kind of cool that lots of people have looked out there in the past and not found anything um but then uh Chris Labonte went out there and he jumped he jumped all seven of those spots that he found for the first time kind of showed that it is possible it's kind of cool to be able to find something in your backyard that's jumpable and like some of them have some pretty cool flights um and it's a really beautiful area to be in. And it's just cool that the suits have evolved enough and skill level has evolved that we can now safely and repeatedly jump some cliffs out there.
1: Uh, yeah. You know, I know you have kind of a um, a broader project that you're working on, a broader kind of mission that you're working on. Uh, so what is that exactly?
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm working on doing a documentary about wingsuiting in the Eastern Sierra. just kind of showing all the work that goes into it. Because uh, I feel like when most people look at a wingsuit-based jump, they're just kind of thinking like, oh, it's a crazy person who just jumps off a cliff or right. they just see all the highlight clips of flying five feet off the ground and it just looks like a super glamorous lifestyle of like an extreme athlete who's just doing that every day. But that's not really the reality of it. Like there's a lot of like science and math that goes into it and um, calculating angles, calculating conditions and mapping things out to very precise margins. I mean, use a GPS tracker when you jump that takes uh, five points per second that are pretty accurate. Um, so you can know exactly where you are throughout your entire start arc um, of how much like when you're 200 feet down exactly how far away from the cliff you are and you can use those graphs to line it up over um, laser data that you take when you can actually map out the mountain within a couple feet of accuracy but you can line up every single jump you've ever done and know that you've never done a jump where you would hit that ledge so you can jump it with pretty good confidence that you'll be okay on that jump.
1: There have been all kinds of efforts to legalize base jumping in Yosemite specifically. And then some more efforts to just kind of legitimize base jumping in general, like as a mainstream sport. Yeah. And so it seems like this documentary that you want to create and this message that you want to get out is kind of in line with those things. Is that right?
0: Yeah. I mean, I just want to show people like what actually goes into it, like all the math that we that we line it up to know, like this is pretty safe and repeatable. And then just like how, we, how well we map out the conditions, how much work goes into it. I mean, it's like, you sometimes it'll take like a month of just scouting something out, waiting for conditions, like hiking up there, rechecking numbers, um, like seeing how the conditions actually line up with the forecast. Cause some of it takes like seven to 10 hours just to get to the spot you jump off. Uh, a lot of it, there's climbing involved. There's not actually trails to get up there. So just to kind of show people, it's not just extreme athletes that, or just like these adrenaline junkies that are just hucking it off stuff. But people like regular people who dedicate a lot of time and effort into it um, and try to do it as safely as possible and are doing it in a sustainable way.
1: So recently you and a friend of yours did a jump off of Mount Morrison. Yeah. And that was the one that I accompanied you for. Yeah. Can you just talk a little bit about Mount Morrison, what it means to you, why you chose that place to jump?
0: Yeah, so Mount Morrison's really cool. Um, that's the first jump that was ever done in California outside of uh, outside of a national park. Um, it was done by Chris Labowney, I think, in 2015. I think it's like 4,300 feet overall of altitude. Uh, it's a really cool mountain just to hike in general. Uh, there's no trail on it, um, so you just kind of scramble up the side. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is <laughs> it sounded like you enjoyed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but yeah, it's really cool. Um, it doesn't. It's not perfectly vertical where you jump off. It's got a bunch of ledges. And it's underhungs. So you need a good start in decent conditions. Um, the air is pretty thin up there, um, but it's a beautiful flight. You get to fly down for if you if you just tried to glide, you could fly for a couple of minutes. Um, the line that we took was about fifty seconds or so because um, you're diving down, like flying the train all the way down. But it has like one of the best train lines, um, it the best train line ever flown in California. Um, and better than a lot of the stuff in Europe.
1: So it's hard to it's hard to have a conversation about base jumping without death and injury kind of coming into it because that's such a, just it's like a fundamental part of this sport. It seems like.
0: Yeah. And it's definitely pretty big in the sport. It's a risky sport for sure. And then, yeah, there's a lot of death around it. Um, but I don't think there necessarily has to be like, it's a lot of that's from people not being fully prepared or pushing past their own limits or getting complacent. Um, I think if you, check yourself and like try to look at it from an outside perspective, you can do it pretty safely if you're willing to just put in the time and hold back on jumps, hike down when the conditions aren't perfect. Um, even when sometimes when they are, if you just aren't feeling it and just kind of try to take a more conservative
1: approach in certain aspects. That's it's interesting. You're talking about basic risk assessment. Yeah. So how do you find a balance between assessing the risk, but also like pushing your boundaries? Right, because it's not like the first time you base jumped, you were able to do a cre- like do a wingsuit ride, flight off yeah. of something and turn around a feature and then like land safely on the ground. You have to grow and kind of push yourself to get to that point. So how do you how do you find a balance there between pushing yourself but also being careful?
0: Yeah, I mean, well, you just like doing like methodical progression on there. So for example, doing like flips and stuff off a bridge. Like I didn't go out and like throw a triple backflip for my first time doing that. I did a lot of just normal jumps, flat and stable, without any flips. And then I started by doing like a really slow rotation on a backflip, or a gainer where you jump forward but flip backward, because um, the slower you do it, the more time you have to pitch your parachute, because you have to be in like, a certain position to pitch. Then I got really comfortable with that. Then I started doing them faster until I could rotate like a backflip in about one second. And once I could do that consistently, then I started doing two of them, and once I got really comfortable with two, then you do three. So you don't just jump into it and do, like, like the gnarliest thing in your first go. Like you get really good at, like, you just, you increase, like, one factor at a time on what you're doing. So, you, like, you do one rotation until, like, you can do that perfectly, then two. So same with wing seating. Like, you don't jump something like Mount Morrison for your first jump. You go somewhere, like, in Europe, like, uh, Monte Brento, which is huge. Like, if you drop a rock, I think it falls for, like, 12 or 13 seconds before it hits the ground it's completely overhung so there you have room if you mess up and once your starts are really good and like your angle is perfect and nothing's flailing or tipping or um, like off center then you go somewhere where it's just more vertical and you slowly increase it um, with building more and more jumps um, that consistently say you'll be okay to do the next thing so it's like incremental um,
1: advancements in your skill that makes sense so, how far do you think you want to go with base jumping or wingsuiting? Like what do you see as your natural like stopping point or your limitation in the sport?
0: Yeah, I mean, just what, whatever I can do safely, like I don't like in terms of a stopping point, I don't really see stopping. Um, I see doing it until I'm too old to do it, <laughs> hopefully. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm sure like as I eventually get older. Like, once, whenever I eventually hit, like, my peak physical fitness and it starts declining, at some point it's going to have to be stepping back from the more full-on exits and jumping stuff that's a little bit safer or um, just not pushing the limits as much just because my body won't be able to. Um, but until then, like, every time I do a wingsuit jump, like, I have everything mapped out. I use, like, fly sight data. So if I'm doing a jump where I'm like, okay, my worst ever start in worst conditions clears like barely clears that ledge but it did clear it so I've never once done a jump that's like that wouldn't have survived this and I have good conditions and all the ones in good conditions like way clear that like 30 or 40 feet on that ledge so the chance of me doing something different on this jump that I've never done before in like the past 200 wingsuit base jumps is pretty low so I can pretty confidently say it's going to work out on there Um, just getting very consistent at your starts and just consistency is key and like staying current and staying trained um and if it's a jump where i don't think i have that margin i don't do the jump so i don't really see it as something where there's like a limit um it's just more assessing every jump as it comes
1: with what my current skill is and what my track record's been
0: and then just making educated decisions from there
1: you know one of the things that i think is interesting about the sport base jumping and wingsuit flying also is that It's relatively new, and there's not really a central organization that instructs people or offers classes or courses or hands out rules or certifications or something. And so the knowledge and the wisdom is really kind of passed down from the older people who have the experience to the younger people. And I wonder, and I know that you've talked to like a lot of the old and learned from a lot of the older base jumpers in California. What kinds of stuff have you learned and what have they told you?
0: Uh, like everyone has advice and everyone like gives advice so you kind of have to filter out what advice is good and what's not good and like where it's coming from because like when you're starting out you're going to get advice from everybody and some people are going to be giving you advice because like they don't want you to do something because like they want to keep it for themselves other people do it because they're actually concerned about you other people do it just because they had been in that position um in the past where like they were rushing into something Um, and like other people told them to slow down. So like, you kind of have to actually, let me, let me think through this answer. Try to gather my thoughts on this. Yeah. 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 I don't know. Cause I didn't really get too much. Like I I learned from some people and asked um, for some advice, but a lot of it was just like me teaching myself and figuring stuff out. Like I, I didn't learn too much from other people. I didn't really have one mentor through the whole sport. Um, it was more like I just researched everything I could and then just jumped with different people and like just gathered bits of knowledge from observing them um, until I kind of built my own foundation.
1: I got to ask you because again like death is such a part of this sport have you known people who have died in during base jumps or during flights? Yeah
0: yeah I've lost a few friends to it um, through both skydiving and base jumping. I'm never well in there like I haven't seen anybody die like right in front of me but I've jumped with a friend one day and then I went home and then like the next day they jumped and died like skydiving and like, the last time I saw him was, like, the day before that when we just spent the whole weekend doing jumps together or, like, living with someone in a van in Europe for, like, a month and then go home and then, like, a few weeks later they end up dying. So, it definitely sucks, but it's part of it. Like, most of the people that did, like, we weren't necessarily surprised about. Like, is like they were pushing it really hard and they were flying closer on their first line down the mountain than I was on, like, my eighth or ninth jump as I slowly worked my way closer to the terrain. It's one of those things where it's like, yeah, it works till it doesn't. And if you push it that hard, something might happen. So it's something they accepted and they were comfortable risking it at like at a higher level of risk
1: compared to other people who want to like do it more sustainably and longer. I'm asking you this because you live with your parents. Yeah. What do they make of this?
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm sure they'd be really stoked if I was doing something different. Like if I (laughs) was super passionate about something else, um, that had like better statistics on it but they like and they know all the work I do going into all the jumps they know how much I prepare I and mean, they see me do like nearly 600 base jumps now without anything bad happening and like they watch me versus my friends versus like other people and like they can see like different levels of where people are at with like how much work they put into it um, so I think they know they know I'm doing everything I can to make it safe um and safe for myself and they know I'm also going to do it either way, so they can either accept it and, like, kind of support it and be good about it, or they can kind of push me away with that, which, like, I have other friends who their parents have just been completely against it or to the point where they're like, you can't do that or, like, we'll pretty much disown you if you do that, um, or they just didn't want to deal with their kid being a base jumper. So it's, like, it's what I'm going to do. It's what I'm really passionate about, and it's the thing I enjoy pretty much most in life. So, my parents can be either with it or against it, so it works out better when they just kind of support it.
1: But they've never seen you base jump, right?
0: No, they've never seen me jump in person. In um, person, right? Yeah, they, they've watched all my videos and stuff, and we talk about it, but they've they've just never been in the same place as me when I've been jumping. Do you want them to see you do it in person sometime? Yeah, I'd be... I mean, I'd love if they came out. Like, it's just hard finding the time for that. Like, If it's going somewhere legal, it's like the closest place. Like we drive to, is like 11 hours away in Idaho to go base jumping there um, or going out to Moab and stuff like that. And they don't want to get up in like the middle of the night and go like break the law, like sneaking in somewhere to go jump off something to watch that. So it just hasn't lined up.
1: Last question I wanted to ask you, are there any features, natural features or buildings or other objects that you would really love to jump uh, at some point, either realistically or kind of, you know, purely hypothetically. Mm, that's a good one. I think it'd be awesome to be able to
0: jump off like the Golden Gate Bridge. Mm. Um, yeah, I think there's like a specific law or like a trespassing law in there that's like a $10,000 fine if you get caught. And like it's been jumped before, like pre nine eleven, when there was way less security. Um, so I think there's like a video published from Jeb Corliss doing that oh. um, which because it's just outside the statutes of Limitation like way back in like early 2000s or maybe earlier than that. Um, but yeah, that would be cool. But that's not something I'm not willing to risk a $10,000 fine just to jump off a bridge. But it'd be cool. Like, there's, there's some big buildings out there too. Or if there could be an event or something, I would definitely go out there and do that. Is it trickier landing on water? Have you ever landed on water before? I've landed in water before um, a couple times. Um, it's, you just need to be able to get out of your parachute or have like a boat there to pick you up. Because if the water current's moving fast, because um, water and air, they're both fluid. And just like your parachute inflates in the air and moves, um, the water current will like inflate your parachute with water and it can pull it down. Um, oh. so it's like a big anchor. So if you land in fast moving water, um, it fills all the cells of your parachute. Your parachute kind of flies underwater and just drags you deeper. So people have drowned before from landing in water. I'd probably try to land on the land if I jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge on a barge or something. But that's probably never going to happen anyways, because <laughs> I don't see them allowing that ever. And I don't ever see wanting to risk $10,000 for just one jump and and that's just not worth it
1: (laughs) yeah there's so much stuff so many different uh considerations that need to be that need to go in you know and factors that go into uh any given jump that you might do yeah exactly all right cool well that's it i don't have any more questions for you thanks a lot for taking the time yeah thanks for having me Thanks very much again to Daniel for coming on the podcast. To see his legal base jumps in the U.S. and elsewhere, check out his YouTube channel. You can find it at Daniel Ristow. That's R-I-S-T-O-W. If you want to follow what I'm up to with California outdoors coverage, I'm on Twitter at Greg R. Thomas. If you've got questions for me, suggestions for who I should bring on the pod, email me at gthomas at sfchronicle.com. Wild West is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Find us and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And if you like us, please throw us a rating and a review. See you next time.